a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. To see, to see the face of God is to be destroyed. So God now veils himself in, in the flesh and blood of Jesus. And he uses that, those means, namely his flesh and his blood, his life and, and his death, he uses those means to save us. And when we were baptized at the font with God's name placed upon us, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, with the sign of the cross being placed upon our forehead and our hearts marking as ones redeemed. We were adopted as sons of God. Are we doing the show now? Is the theme over? <laughs> Welcome to another edition of Table Talk Radio. Uh, we have a wonderful sh- uh, show in store for you today. This is um, how to... I don't know. We're playing um, uh, Which Ladder, aren't we? Which Ladder and Ten Commandments in the News. Uh, some emails, some buzzwords. This... Um, I don't know. Is this a Jane Treadmill warning show? or Yeah. It is? Look oh. out, Jane. Ten Commandments in the News. That's my favorite favorite game. I thought so. Hey, where's your vicar? I kind of miss being on the air with your vicar. I miss being on the air with vicar. Vicar's taking a vacation this week. You give your vicar a vacation? <laughs> some, yeah, listen, I felt bad. You were, you were talking about how much grief I give the guy, so I said, hey, take the week off. He did. I think he <laughs> Actually, take me literally. No, no, I'm fine. I don't need a week off. I'm just here for three months. But no. You see, the danger of giving your vicar a week off is he realizes how terrible it is being around you might not come back. The danger of me? I mean, I don't know what to do with myself. I was going to have someone in Bible class this morning keep a list of all the insults that I have for him. So, <laughs> so he can hear him when give he gets him the back. list when he gets back next week. <laughs> this is what you missed. <laughs> I felt so lonely. Well, I had the vicar-shaped hole in my heart. Did you uh, Did you give him the assignment that uh, while he was on vacation, he needed to listen to every Table Talk Radio episode that's ever been made? <laughs> I wanted him to come back from vacation. <laughs> yeah. Not die. M- MIA. <laughs> Vicar missing in action while listening to Table Talk Radio. <laughs> well, oh, that boy. that is a risk, but uh, let's let's go and get some buzzwords. Um, my theological buzzword for you, Pastor, is one that we don't ascribe to. It is uh, consubstantiation. Now, uh, this requires a little explanation because uh, we talk about how the uh, the view that the Roman Catholic Church holds is transubstantiation. This is the idea that the uh, uh, the bread and wine turn into the body and blood so that uh, when you partake of communion, this is what the Catholics teach, when you partake of communion, you are not receiving into your mouth bread or wine. You are only receiving into your mouth the body and blood. Okay, so um, the the kind of the uh, name that has been subscribed, uh, I think, falsely to us has been consubstantiation. And the reason we reject this definition is that um, uh, this implies kind of a like a 50-50 mixture, you know? So yeah, so in the host is a 50% bread and 50% uh, of the body, and, and that's not what we teach. Uh, we teach simply what the... What the uh, uh, what the Bible says, Christ says, "This is my body, this is my blood." So we, uh, we certainly say that it's, it is those things which He says it is. But that does not then deny that this is still bread and this is still wine. You know, Paul, uh, Paul talks about the bread, you know, and and this is this, he's referring to this body of Christ, 
even after it's been consecrated, he still refers to it as the as the bread and the wine. Um, so uh, we we maintain that both of these are true, and consubstantiation doesn't fit that definition. Um, so we might t- say rather real presence, but even that needs some explanation. Right. Ah, it's best to just say is. Is. Hey, I got a sacramental buzzword for you. It's pedo-baptism. Oh, nice. Yeah, which means baby baptism or children's baptism. Uh, sometimes it's pedo, p p e d o or p a e d o baptism, which is spelled baptism. He uh, the practice of infant baptism. Uh, here's the I, I found this uh, the Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry CARM. Mm-hmm. I found their definition. Uh-oh. Some groups, such as Roman Catholicism, teach that such baptism saves the child. Other groups do not do not and consider it an act of covenant faithfulness. Hmm. So there you go. So if we were playing name that theological perspective, we might yeah. identify that as being some sort of uh, reformed uh, view. Indeed. That's your new word, by the way. I noticed that. Indeed. Yeah, the last show, you said that like twice, just like that. Indeed. Indeed. And then when you were, when you were on uh, some other uh, unnamed Lutheran uh, radio show, you also said that. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> so now we can add to the list. It, for those of you playing the Table Talk Radio bingo game at home, um, uh, Indeed can be added to et cetera, et cetera. Uh, marvelous. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, That's all. Yeah, <laughs> there's a bunch. Don't worry. Uh, we'll try and get those uh, bingo cards out to you. All right, let's turn to the Table Talk Radio mailbag. Okay. I got one from Stephanie. It says, hey, another note. Thanks for playing Superstitious. You're welcome, Stephanie. <laughs> I think it's the only song on your list of songs that you can listen to over and over again that I that I agree is listenable to over and over. I can't listen to Cat Mohammed Stevens. I added the Mohammed part. I can't listen to Cat Mohammed Stevens songs one time through, never mind repeatedly. Thanks again, Stephanie. You're welcome, Stephanie. Glad to be... You know, I've always thought... Uh, since the very beginning, I've always thought that the best part of our show is the bumps in and out. Uh-huh. That's a funny joke. Okay, here's another one. Jared from Canada. Wait, wait. What, why is that funny? <laughs> Isn't I thought that because was just, I'm saying the rest of the show is I terrible. Thought, I thought that was just a true statement. It is true. I guess. Oh, okay. Yeah. The funny part is that I'm saying it. The funny part is talking. is I don't know why it's funny. <laughs> well, the funny part is that I'm. I'm in the part of the show that I'm actually insulting. The funny part is that you're explaining these jokes. <laughs> the funny part is is that you've pointed that out. Okay, let's. let's Here's on. another one. Jared from Canada says, "Have we tell me stop me if you've heard this one before? I have this one marked as unread. Hope you're both doing well. I was watching U.S. Olympic track and field trials in Oregon this weekend, and I thought of you, Pastor Gagline, Bishop of Oregon. I made that part up." <laughs> I know Eugene, where the track mountain is held, isn't exactly within spitting distance of Rogue River. Nothing is in spitting distance of Rogue River, by the way. Hey. Thanks, Mom and Dad, for moving up there. But the footage <laughs> of the surrounding area in Eugene sure made that part of Oregon look good. It's pretty there. Yeah, uh, if you think Eugene looks pretty, uh, Jared from Canada, you should see Rogue River. Yes. It's a... Pastor Gagline there can make Christmas cards by just taking a picture of the view off his front porch. Yeah, and I do. Did you get that one, by the way? No. Hmm. So must have got lost in the mail. Yeah, that's probably it. it Anywho, it, I sent it with uh, Lumpy's paycheck. <laughs> I've been chewing on another theological question. I thought I'd run it by you. I heard your arch nemesis Bill Swirla and Craig Denofro. 
They would be our arch nemesis if they were any good. <laughs> Talking about how the reformed. Dun, dun, dun. If, if, the, if, if the theme music is the best part of our show, the end of the show is the best part of the God Whispers. <laughs> and you're, but you never know when it's coming. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. How much are, longer? Are we? It's like the kids at the back of the of the tr- long trip. Are we there yet? It's like you know what? It, it, listening to the God Whispers, it's like sitting at the, going to a track meet and someone throws you in a race and you don't know how long the race is. You could be running like the hundred yard dash or you could be running like the two mile. You don't even know. You just start going and then at some point someone stands up and says it's over. I think that analogy is more apropos uh, for. <laughs> I heard someone else use that use that word correctly uh, yesterday that I heard. I, I wanted to capture it for apropos. You. Yes, you're so stinging from that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the, I think that more applies to uh, Chris Roseborough show, Fighting for the Faith. I mean, that's true. I mean, the, our our show is about 48 minutes long, give or take. Uh, and he takes 48 minutes to just explain what the show's going to be about. <laughs> That's right. So Chris is the show. You start, you never know what it's going to end. Uh, uh, the God Whispers is the show that you actually never know when it starts. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a better way to put it. Anyhow, Jared from Canada continues. Uh, the Reformed, da, 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 sharing infinity with the Lutherans. Ah, a camp phrase, uh, camp's phrase, simul justus et peccator. Uh, which means, at the same time, saint and sinner. In the middle of the discussion, they said something... Oh, this is the they is the God-whisperers. They said something I think uh, had been... I'd been thinking for a long time. The two traditions both share the same phrase, but they attach very different meanings to it. By the way, I'm sorry for all the Reformed questions. I'm just now emerging from the tradition, not to say I'm emerging or emergent, if that's a fad is dead already. Not yet, but it's dying. Swirla emphasized that the Lutheran tradition maintains that the Christian is a 100% sinner and 100% saint. This is to say that the new man is already 100% holy, righteous, and good, while the old man, who sticks to us until our death, is 100% evil and damned, having been judged and executed in our baptism. On the other hand, the Reformed, and most of North American pop evangelicalism, Pop goes the evangelical. Uh, <laughs> pop goes the gospel. Speak of the old man and the new man as coexisting. Similar used to set Picard, but like half and half. The old man becoming less influential while the new man becomes increasingly holy in degrees, uh, hence progressive sanctification. I think I've got it right. I'm not sure. So here's my question challenge. Can Lumpy come on the show and investigate the different meanings that the Lutheran and Reformed traditions attach to the phrase simul justus et peccator? In his report, perhaps he could spell out the implications for different understandings with respect to the Christian life. Thanks, Jared from Canada. Sure, Jared. We'll take care of the God whispers. They'll give you the questions. And we'll provide the answers. <laughs> yeah, I, we haven't seen Lumpy for a while, so I think it'd be good to get him back on. I know. Let's do that. So I'll send the assignment to Lumpy, and we'll have him write this down. We'll have him come on next time and talk about the difference between the Lutherans and the Reformed on the Simul Eustace question. All right. So uh, Lumpy is on the job, and uh, we look forward to hearing from him next week. Uh, after this commercial break, we are going to play uh, Which Ladder, and then after that, Ten Commandments in the News. You want to do it that way or the, or the other way around? Yeah, either way, you pick. Okay, we'll figure it out during the break. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. If you have a question for us, send it to questions at tabletalkradio.org or give us a call, 1-800-385-SOLA, 1-800-385-7652. We'll be right back on Table Talk Radio. Those
the bane of mystical subjectivism. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. We are climbing Jacob's golden ladder from earth to heaven so high. This one thought now makes my heart so gladder to know that we are climbing Jacob's ladder to the sky. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Uh, We decided during the break, during our uh, little consultation there, that we are going to play which ladder first. Uh, and then if we have time, we're going to play some Tinker Mammoths in the News. Um, mostly because we, we're not sure what we're going to say about Tinker Mammoths in the News. And so we, <laughs> I know. I know. This pastor in jail for having a church in his house? <laughs> hmm, not sure what to say about that. Hmm. Uh, so uh, first, uh, which ladder? Now, um, Pastor Wolfman, please explain to us the ladders of which ladder. Okay, so Evan has three ladders that he likes to climb over there. Mm-hmm. You as well, by the way. Moralism, mysticism... And rationalism. Now, these are the ladders that our flesh is always, I mean, our, our flesh is always tempted to think that we, um, we can please God by what we do. And the, the three ways we try to do it is by acting right, that's moralism, by, glo- by growing close to God on the inside, that's mysticism, and by um, getting it all right by our minds, that's, that's uh, rationalism. So the ladder of the will is uh, this moralistic ladder, which would be good enough for God. The ladder of the uh, of the emotions or of the psyche is uh, 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 mysticism. That's the second ladder. And the third is the ladder of the mind. Now, what we're doing in this game is we listen to clips or read something or other, and then we ask ourselves the question, what ladder is this particular person telling us to climb? Now, this is a game you can play in your everyday life when reading bumper stickers or watching PBS. And you can ask that same question yourself. What ladder is this person telling me to climb? Right. Well done. Okay, so are you ready for the first uh, clip here? Man, I was born ready. Okay, here it is. The mantra of the American dream is to advance yourself. With hard work, ingenuity, innovation, you can have it all. The frightening reality of the gospel. Jesus does call us to give up everything we have. And he may tell any one of us to sell all of our possessions and give them to the poor. But we don't believe this. If we form Jesus to look like us and be who we want Him to be, then even when we gather together and sing our praises and lift our hands, the reality is we are not worshiping the Jesus of the Bible. We are worshiping and singing to ourselves. We have a master who demands radical obedience. A mission that warrants radical urgency. And we do not have time to waste our lives living out a Christian spin on the American dream. The most glorious reason you exist is for the proclamation of the glory of God to the ends of the earth. And it's more than having a nice life. It's about giving our lives and our families and our jobs for the proclamation of the glory of Christ to the ends of the earth. 
if we're going to live for the sake of 4.5 million lost people and thousands and thousands and thousands of kids who are dying every day because they don't have food on their table, then that means radical change in our lives and our families. Sure. Church, we are plan A, and there is no plan B. Whoa. <laughs> I am moved. <laughs> All right, this is a promotional video for uh, a book called Radical. So uh, the title of oh, this yeah, video... Oh, yeah, I've seen that book. we got to read that book. we yeah. got to get the your secret project to be <laughs> now, then unsecret and then also to talk about this book. To be revealed. <laughs> so far, it's in the hidden parts of God. Only the Calvinists are, are guessing what uh, <laughs> what this my, what our secret project is. <laughs> Poor Calvinists. <laughs> I mean, their doctrine is just as bad as everyone else. They get an inordinate amount of insulting on the show. Yeah, we feel bad about it, too. I do, too. I feel so terrible. So the, t- the title of this YouTube video is, What Part of the Gospel is Optional? What part of the gospel is optional? And the gospel is, sell all you have. Huh? I mean, I, I don't know. It's a, perhaps a... Hmm, Okay. Let me back up a little bit and approach this beep, systematically. Beep. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Thank you. I got a new chair. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this. My chair I did notice it, and that's a wonderful thing that I did not I'm, notice. I'm going to fix my old one here pretty soon and get it back into action, and then you could literally hear me backing up. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the thing that's going on here is that uh, uh, here comes this guy to preach the law, and, and there's always... Uh, there's always this move that says you don't take the law seriously enough. Mm-hmm. But what it always ends up doing is it, it, it is, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. You don't take the law seriously enough. So what is the, I mean, Jesus could come and tell us to at any time sell all that we have and give it to the poor, Right. You remember? I mean, mm-hmm. that's what yeah. it said there. Yeah. So that, look, you might give 10 per- You might tithe. You might give 10% of your offering to church, but that's not enough. You must give 100%. Etc. <laughs> uh, we are plan B, Christians. There is no plan C. Or wait, A. <laughs> if you don't give up everything you have and stop living a version of Americanized... What does it say? Christianizing the American dream? Mm-hmm. Bah! And you say to yourself, boy, this guy's serious. This guy, he takes his faith so seriously. But the problem is, it's still not enough. I mean, Jesus said, I mean, just imagine the next radical that shall be even more radical. This will be the book that I'm going to write. Even more uh, radical. <laughs> what part of cutting off your hand is unclear in the Bible? <laughs> If you still have two hands, you show yourself to be a false disciple of Jesus. (laughs) There is no plan D, church. How many eyes do you have? Ah! (laughs) Okay, okay. Put some on some dramatic music in the background. People People are dying all over because of lust, and you, you sit there in your car with, with your two, two eyes. eyes with hands at ten and two <laughs> driving along like Jesus came to give you a better life 
Every time you pick up your McDouble with both hands, you okay, should think get, of the real. Get to your theological point. We got it. <laughs> the point is, it makes it sound like the God, like the law is coming. This, it's the Pharisee thing. I mean, this is the, how the Pharisees use the law. They say we're gonna we're gonna raise the bar so high that we're the only ones that can possibly keep it. I mean, guys, getting a huge whatever from writing a book about how you ought to be a radical i mean you can it's it, you you live such a life where your you know parents are able to send you over to cambodia to help feed the people and stuff like this and you talk about how everyone else doesn't do enough mm. it's the same sort of thing you raise the bar to a point that no one else can keep it but you which is pharisee style and everyone looks at the pharisees and say wow Wow, look at how righteous they are. But what does Jesus say? Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you might no means enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the law demands everything, not just selling all that you have. The law demands your own death. <sighs> yeah, no, so I... as long as the law is keepable, it's not the law that, that Jesus preaches. As long as the law is doable, it's not the law of the scriptures. It's a man-made tradition. And, and, and as long as the law is not getting to the gospel, showing us our need for, for the Son of God to take upon our human flesh and die in our place, as long as the law is not getting there, it's not doing what Jesus sent it to do, and it's, making, it's only going to send people either to despair or to an arrogant pride, neither of which is faith. I mean, this stuff is really quite deadly because it has all the allure of an external righteousness, but inside is just filth and bones. It's miserable. Yeah, I wanted to respond to what you said that, that you don't take the law seriously enough. Um, and, and that is, I mean, that, that's true. And this kind of goes to your, your conscience thing because um, as Christians, we, we should strive for then a tender conscience for those parts of the law that we don't take serious enough. But um, the answer then is not, all right, now I'm taking the law seriously. The answer is that the, the conscience is burdened by these laws that we don't take serious. Um, so that we have accommodated some sort of a pet sin in our life, and uh, we're, we're kind of okay with that. You know, we're, we're okay with, uh, you know, like lust or that we're okay with some greed or like that. And we don't want the, the conscience to, to get us down. Uh, about that, but then uh, comes along the the law of God, and uh, it awakens the conscience and shows us, oh, uh, this is wrong. And now the answer is like, I'm going to fix, uh, or I, I'm going to change it up so now I can say I have a clean conscience. No, we have a clean conscience not because I fixed it, but because Christ uh, died for me and declares me to be to be righteous. Um, so it's true that we don't take the law seriously, but it is that that statement should propel us to cling to Christ, repent of our sins, and uh, and uh, see Christ's promise and, and holiness for us. That's right. All right. Well, we need to hit a commercial break here coming up, so let's hit this commercial break. Oh, wait. Which ladder is this? Uh, moralism. Yeah, moralism it is. Uh, so that is ladder uh, number one. We have two more clips for Pastor Wolfmuller's consideration after this commercial break, and then uh, we will... Uh, see if we have some time for some Ten Commandments in the news. Give us a call, 1-800-385-SOLA, 1-800-385-7652, or send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. We'll be right back. Not really one of the best decisions you've made today. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Time to get through the night. 
back, Table Talk Radio. Which ladder? So far, we've heard uh, about the the radical gospel, the gospel that uh, one is obedient to. <laughs> Uh, that gets me. <laughs> That's right. uh, it's just happened. Just never mind. It has nothing, nothing to do with the gospel. Never mind that. <laughs> I remember when uh, back with the original Table Talk Radio. Remember the original Table Talk Radio? In which, no. uh, which oh, uh, when you were just doing your thing and I had nothing to do with it. Right. Yeah, that was when it was good. Um, I I uh, <laughs> I interviewed you have tapes of those old days. I think so. Somewhere. It, I, I'm kind of embarrassed by some of it. This was. Before before I went to seminary, I'm like, oh, I said that. Yeah. Uh, kind of like I, yeah. kind of like I react when I listen to last week's show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? I said that. I know our listeners have the same reaction. They say, oh, I listened to that. I listened to that. But when we were <laughs> when we were I doing, can't get those 48 minutes back. <laughs> gone forever. <laughs> but uh, I we I interviewed um, Shirley Phelps Roper, who was the. Oh, the I lady remember from, that. And I asked, "How would you articulate <laughs> the gospel?" She says, "It's this: obey, obey, obey." Oh, man. Yeah, <laughs> wow, I, that is kind of the opposite of what the gospel is. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> okay, so uh, moralism is easily easily detected by you. But what about this one? Heaven can seem far away, but for one little boy, heaven is very real. Colton Burpo was just three years old when he got a sneak peek at what is to come. Take a look. How old are you today? Me. And what is your name? And where do you live? Nebraska. Who's your mommy? Sonia. Who's your daddy? Daddy Coco. Who's your sister? Cassie. That was eight years ago. Looking at Colton now, you would have never guessed that he almost died in 2003. His father, Todd, tells about Colton's near-death experience in the book, Heaven is for Real. I thought he was under anesthesia, you know, and, and he wasn't. But it wasn't till four months after we got out of the hospital that we finally listened to our son. And that's where I got to see heaven. No, Jesus and some angels came and flew me up to heaven. And I said, so Colton, what did Jesus look like? I knew that the first person I saw was Jesus. He was wearing white robes with a purple sash. And he just came down nicely and gracefully. Well, Dad, Jesus has markers. Dad, Jesus has markers. I didn't know what he meant. So I finally asked the right question. Colton, where are Jesus' markers? And he drops his toys down and he stands up. And he just points, Dad, they were right here. He takes his fingers, points to the palms, then he bends over and touches the tops of his feet. And looks up to me, and that's where Jesus' markers were, Dad. When I was in the throne room of God to start with, so I got to see what that looked like. I was upset because I didn't know what was happening. What God did is he used people that, people or things that I liked to calm me down. From there on, I felt better. And one day we're traveling together and he looks up at me and, Dad, you used to have a grandpa named Pop, didn't you? I'm like, yeah, he's really nice. Really? Yeah, you used to play with him as a kid and fix Work with him on the farm, and 
and shoot stuff with him. I'm like, yeah, how do you know that? Well, he told me. All right, that is uh, Colton and his father, who's a pastor in the uh, Imperial, Nebraska, which is just a stone's throw from my stomping ground of Yuma, Colorado, just right over the border there. Really? Uh, yeah. You didn't know I was so famous, did you? No. Yeah. All right, so what do you make of this, Pastor? I don't know. This is, I think, you know, there's a lot of stories like this where uh, people see the stuff that you're not able normally to see. Uh, so it happens with uh, near-death experiences. This is an actual trip up to heaven. I have this book. I haven't read it yet. I need to do that. Yes, you need uh, to for like someone's a, secret project. Someone's secret project would have me reading this book. Calvinists can already now. Do, they they normally go on a much less information than this. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> they know what the secret project is for sure now. Anyhow, uh, uh they, and I, I was reading this other book, the Ghost Whisperer book, the lady about the ghosts, and I, and and people will see ghosts, they'll see angels, they'll see uh, pictures of heaven, or uh, you know, kind of the light and all of this near death experience kind of thing. Um, I, I think I, I don't think that we are in a position to question if people actually see what they see. The question is though, is what they see real? Or are they being given um, a picture of something different? And 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 I don't think we can answer that. So I think the only thing that we can do with stuff like this is to say, now, I don't want to question the integrity of the child or his father. Um, but I'm also, I'm also bound by the scriptures to not trust what they say. Hmm. In other words, when it comes to spiritual realities, spiritual verities, and things that lead to eternal life, the words that I am to trust are the words of the scriptures, the words of Jesus. And this could be a story that could be true. It could be a, a long deception um, by the demons. It could be a, a deception by the people. I mean, it, it, in any sort of way, it could be wrong. So I'm, I'm required by the, by the scriptures to not put my trust in it, but rather just trust the Lord's word. Yeah. I mean, there could be a naturalistic explanation. Right, I mean, it could be it could be just hallucinations, right? Right. Um, yeah. Well put. So, is this a ladder, though? Is that is the question? Um, there is this kind of ladder of experience, which we normally will qualify as mysticism, although it doesn't. In this sense, it's, I guess it would be a mysticism. Well, um, yeah. If you write a book called Heaven Is for Real based upon my experience, based upon your experience. Uh, so that would probably be the ladder of mysticism, and it would be because I mean the body of this boy was. So this is the soul journey, you know. The body was there at the hospital. Mm -hmm. So this journey of the soul to experience these verities, this would be a, a mystical experience. Correct. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's take a boy, look this, at the time I mean, here. this is hard to story to to hear this thing though about you know the the mom and dad sitting there. Um, whew. It is. I mean, probably harder for you than me, but uh, let's 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 get to the next clip. We might have to to respond on the other side of the break. But here is now our friend uh, Mark Driscoll from Mars Hill. And we demonstrate faith in all of this in something called Christian baptism. It's one of the sacraments of the church. Baptism 
is two things. It is a historical fact accompanied by a personal faith. The historical fact is that Jesus is God. He lived without sin. He died for my sin. He was buried and he rose for my salvation. That's the historical fact. And baptism is the personal faith publicly demonstrated in the historical fact. When someone gets up and gives their testimony, if you've never seen a baptism, come next week. They get up and say, here's who Jesus is. Here's what he's done for me. He died and rose for me. My old life was buried with him. My new life is lived for him. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Now, some will teach something called baptismal regeneration here, that you're saved through baptism. You're not saved through baptism. You're saved through Christ, and baptism is a means of demonstrating faith in Christ. You're saved by faith in Christ. Baptism is one way of demonstrating faith through Christ. It is not the getting wet that saves you. It's the faith in Christ that unites you with God. He says it this way, not as a removal of dirt from the body. It's not getting wet that makes you saved, makes you a Christian. If so, then baptism is nothing more than superstitious. This is why some people are so determined to (laughs) baptize their babies, even though there's no evidence of it ever happening anywhere in the Bible. Their thought is, well, if you get the baby wet, then if they die, they go to heaven. That's superstition and magic and paganism. We don't believe any of that. We believe that once you have a personal faith in Jesus, you demonstrate that by being publicly baptized and proclaiming that Jesus is the object of your faith and Jesus is the source of your salvation. And that as he rose, you will rise. And that as he died, he died for you. He says it's not the getting wet part that matters so much, though it's important. But what matters is an appeal to God for a good conscience. God, my conscience is clear. I've repented of my sin. And I appeal to you for salvation. All right, let's take a break right there. And then uh, we're going to see if Martin Driscoll is doing any uh, ladder climbing. When we get back, you're listening to Table Talk Radio, Which Ladder? We respond to Mark Driscoll and uh, his view of baptism there from First Peter chapter 3. We'll be right back. In a recent survey, 98% of listeners can't stand Table Talk Radio. We would like to express our gratitude to those who did not participate in the study. And the preacher spoke about the cleansing blood. I sank my toes into that East Tennessee mud. Then it was dead with the old man up with the moon. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. We are playing the game Wish Ladder before we play uh, Ten Commandments in the News. That means you're going to have to have an opinion about this, Pastor Wolf Miller. Um, unless you talk a long time about this. But the, here, Mark Driscoll There's is saying... There's plenty to talk about here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mark Driscoll is saying, hey, look, uh, even though <laughs> First Peter 3 says baptism now saves you, it doesn't mean that. It means... <laughs> it, I like this move. You, you read the text. Baptism now saves you. Now, what that doesn't mean is that <laughs> baptism now saves you. What? Because that's superstitious. Could you, could, you, could you read that again? Yeah, yeah, I'll read it again. 
baptism now saves you. Now, tell me what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that baptism now saves you. Yeah. Now, see, I think that, uh, and I don't mean to steal your thunder here, but um, when he when he reads the next part, it says, um, not a removal of dirt from the body. Um, and that's where he's saying, ah, baptism doesn't save. Um, but but St. Peter er, there is describing the manner which baptiz- what baptism is. So he's saying baptism, which saves you, is not a removal of dirt, but baptism, which saves you, is an appeal to God for a good conscience. You pagan magician. <laughs> All right. What do you what do you think about this? <laughs> and in this whole thing, that's why some people want to baptize their babies. Not because it's in the Bible, but because uh why? Because they're pagan magicians. <laughs> Are you Lutheran? Yes. I'm a pagan magician. <laughs> Pedio baptism? Like, what's the holy incant? <laughs> What's he even saying up there? Let me go listen a little closer. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Magic charms! (laughs) Witchcraft in that church. Never mind. Jesus says Father to do it, all nations. Or... Jesus, I mean, it's too bad that, you know, what Peter meant to say was baptism now doesn't save you. Where where does the Bible, <laughs> since he's so... What, what Jesus meant to say was, uh, he who believes and isn't baptized is saved. <laughs> well, what, what, since he's so what concerned about what the Bible on... says, uh, where does it talk about uh, the personal faith is a is a prerequisite to baptism. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, first teaching them all that I've commanded you, and then after they've ripped, baptized them in the name after of the Father. After they've demonstrated a personal faith. Right, right. And then and then, uh, what's the other verse that we got to change is, um, uh, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of your sins. I mean, wait a minute, wait a minute. That, what Paul meant to say, <laughs> what Peter meant to say there was, repent and be baptized, every one of you, as a signal that your sins have already been forgiven. And then um, and then when Paul says it to the jailer later, he says, uh, uh, arise and be baptized and have your sins washed away. He, what he meant to say is, arise and be baptized to demonstrate that your sins have already been washed away. And then when Paul writes to the Romans, Romans 3, 4, he says, don't you know that all of you that have been baptized have been baptized into Christ's death? What he meant to say was, all of you that have been baptized indicate that by faith you've joined in Christ's death. And, and then in Galatians, when he says, if you've been baptized, you've put on Christ, what he means to say is, if you choose to be baptized, you demonstrate that by faith, which predated baptism you had already put on christ <laughs> okay okay you're you're just being snarky mm. um what boil down boil down the problem here um if you had to if you had to boil down this whole um false teaching what would it be what would it boil down to well look it's i mean this idea that um i mean the, the, if a person thinks that having faith is an act of the will then any sort of understanding that faith is God's gift to us, that we're passive in repentance, is going to seem like magic. It's going to seem like, uh, you know, some sort of incantation. Because you think the thing with magic, I mean, the thing that they're getting there is that in magic, the words do the work. And that is, in fact, what we believe. It just happens to be not magic, but biblical. I mean, 
uh, we're, by grace you're saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Faith is the gift of God, and it's a gift that he works through the word. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it, that is the gospel, which is a promise, a word of promise, is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Or faith, This is the, that's Romans 1, this is Romans 10, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So that when we hear the word of God, the the word there is creating faith. It pleased God to convert those through the foolishness of the word preached, Paul says to the Corinthians. So it's the word that creates faith. And the word that uh, uh, is is what makes baptism an efficacious event. That the Lord has said, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. He's attached the promise of forgiveness to baptism. Be baptized and have your sins washed away. Christ Jesus cleansed his church by the washing of water and the word. Unless you're born of water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, all of these uh, texts testify that the Lord has attached the promise of, of forgiveness to the gift of baptism. In the same way he's, he attaches the gospel to the preaching of the gospel. I mean, that's what it is, in fact. And he also attaches the promise of the gospel to the Lord's Supper. You know, this is take and drink. This is a New Testament of my blood shed for you, for the or poured out for you for the remission of all your sins. So that the uh, in the Lord's Supper and in the baptism, the promise of the gospel is attached to these things, so that Jesus can deliver to us His forgiveness. Uh, so, if you have the idea that faith is an act of your own will, any sort of passive understanding of God creating faith through the Word is going to seem like uh, is going to seem like magic. But to us, it's just what the, I mean, it is what the Bible says. I mean, the Lord's word is epic. It's, it's a creative word. When, when, when God, can you imagine this uh, Driscoll looking, he teaching uh, Genesis chapter one, the Lord said, let there be light. And there was light. Magic. <laughs> that magic. That's what happens when God speaks. Wait, How did he say? Wait. He says the ba- baptism is the means uh, oh, I wrote it down here. It's the means of the demonstration of faith. No, it's not the means of the demonstration of faith. It's the means of grace. It's the mechanism of the Holy Spirit who's promised to work. So, Lazarus, come forth. Magic! Magic! <laughs> hey, guys, can look at the magic show. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this, taste this wine. This guy's a great magician. <laughs> All right, which ladder? Uh, this has got to be the ladder of moralism, making faith into an act of your own will. Okay. Are you ready? I, I, I'm going to push you a little bit. I'm going to I'm going right, to get you to right. do some Ten Commandments in the news. I'm ready. We have just enough time to get this in. So here is the story from Arizona. A Phoenix man is headed to jail for running a church on his residential property. But the homeowner insists his worship services are private. Marie Saavedra is outside that home in Phoenix with details. Marie? Right, Patty, the man who lives here says this is his private property, so the decisions about how and where he worships on this property should also be private. But after losing several court battles on this issue, his next step in this fight is likely jail. Hello, my name is Michael Salmon. And I'm Suzanne Salmon. And if you are watching this video, um, I'm either already in jail or going to jail. Michael Selman says he is a man prosecuted because of where he chooses to worship. But the city says he's a man falsely representing buildings on his property, running them like churches without the proper permits. Inside this back building is a pulpit and chairs, room for the 30 to 40 who gather here weekly. But he says this is no public church. If people can gather for a Super Bowl party, 
of Thanksgiving, Christmas, poker night every week. We have the right to gather here every week. The city and neighbors disagree. Inspectors say for what he was doing, he needed dozens of building and safety updates. All Salman says he was doing was practicing freedom of religion. The court disagreed. I was found guilty for violating 67 violations. Salman appealed and lost. His sentence is 60 days in jail and three years probation, which he's due to start serving any day. He still maintains his worship space is private, and it should be treated that way. You're taking a man out of society and sticking him in jail for worshiping on his, at his home. Now, late this afternoon, we heard back from the prosecutor's office who tell me the way they see it, this is not a religious freedom issue. What this comes down to is this man's refusal to comply to some issues that they say are, they have to comply with the law. We're talking about uh, building code, safety features, all necessary for him to be doing what they say he is doing on this property. Live tonight in Phoenix, Marisa Vedra, 3TV. All right. Now, that's the story. And, and you know, I have the luxury of watching this video uh, before me. Um, those of you listening don't have that. Uh, I mean, showing this cross set up in his front yard with a, with a church sign right there. Um, oh, I should have grabbed the church sign. We could have played that, too. Church sign theology. <laughs> uh, and then uh, another videos, personal videos that he has made, it shows, like, a platform uh, built. You know, if, if he was Lutheran, he'd probably call it the chancel. Um, and then there's like a, a pulpit there with, with rows of chairs. I mean, so when I first heard about this story, I heard that this guy is having Bible study and is thrown in jail because of this. Um, but, I mean, it's hard to say that he, that he was just having Bible study. This guy was having church in his home. Now, the question still remains. Um, well, this is a right-hand, left-hand kingdom uh, discussion. Uh, we, we do, according to Romans 13, obey, obey the laws of the land, even if that means uh, building codes for our churches. Um, but we also have, um, we obey God rather than men, and we also have uh, an issue of uh, freedom of religion in this country. Uh, so th- that's, that's the issue. Now, what do you have to say, Pastor Wolf Mueller? I don't know. This is really a really quite tough one because it's not, it's, um, it's not that the state is saying you can't have a church. They're saying you can't have a church there. Or if you... If you're going to have a church there, you got to do these sorts of things so that people don't die if it catches on fire kind of thing. So, I mean, the, the, the two commandments, and and maybe the reason why this is so tough is these two commandments are right next to each other. It's the third commandment and the fourth commandment. The third commandment, which would see that the Lord's word is preached in every place, and the fourth commandment, which would set in the in order the authorities and government of this of this world now eighth commandment enters in because it goes into court and this sort of thing it's kind of it's i mean it is a ridiculous thing to throw the guy in jail i mean that's but i think there would be a fine or jail and he's going to say well throw me in jail um, because i want to make the point that this is ridiculous um so i mean i don't think he would have to go to jail i think he could pay some fines or something right yeah that does seem extreme jail time because he's having people over over his house against code um uh, yeah, that is that is concerning. Now, I I do wonder, just from a, a legal perspective, his argument that what if people were gathering here for poker night? We had, you know, thirty people over. Well, that's a big poker table. Uh, we're having thirty people over for game night on a weekly basis. Is the same standard applied uh, to someone in that situation as someone who is holding a church service? Ah, uh, I don't know. 
So I tricky, don't know. Tricky question. Tricky it's, business. Uh, when these commandments run against each other, that's when uh, that's when we pray for wisdom. I'll tell that's you what. right. Well, what do you think? Give us a call one eight hundred three eight five solo or send us an email questions at tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like how much money you make when you go to the poker night with Evan. (laughs) I'm still bitter about that. You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. (laughs) The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like your feedback on today's show. Call us toll free 1-800-385-SOLA. That's 1-800-385-SOLA. Or send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. You can listen again to this show or any of our past shows on our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.